it's super loud in here, as people can probably hear, pick up on. We are recording this on a Friday afternoon. Because... There's a photo shoot happening to our, my left, your right. Honestly, they scheduled it first. We're the ones that are doing this on the fly. Correct. And it's because you just got back from... Singapore. I got back this morning. I got back three nights ago, and then you're flying again in like three days? Something um, like that. I don't remember. I'm going to New York. Very soon. Uh, when was the last time that we spoke to each other? It's been over a month that we've done Has this in really? person, right? Let's see. We've been lacking. We've been we've been slacking. I think there's no no denying it. Oh, oh, here we go. The last time, oh, exactly a month, April 5th. I don't even know how to catch up with you because it's been a while. Are, just, are you updating your Instagram as we speak? No, I'm not. Is that what we're doing instead? I told Sharice beforehand that I'm going to be more diligent about being self-promotional. And I said... To the no. point that it's going to be annoying. And No, you said to the point where we would be embarrassed about you. And I said, that's really not possible. I feel like the, that whole... I would be embarrassed if you started posting a lot of selfies. Yeah, I just did update my Instagram profile picture. I noticed. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Shout outs to Alex. For the awesome profile photo. Yo, what film did you use to shoot that? The one with the streaks? Oh, uh, Psych Blue. Psych Blue. Oh, hey. Shout out to Dustin Holmes. Yeah. Conveniently, we will have a Sights and Sounds with Dustin coming out soon. This month. Um, Actually, let's catch up on that. Because we've kind of been working independently on stories and publishing separately. Yeah. You know what? This is a good time to kind of discuss where we are currently in the whole editorial landscape. You know, I, I told you this on the way in today when it was just you and I in the morning. It was like, it's kind of fascinating because there's something to be said about editorial and how despite the fact it's process driven, it's so many intricate moving parts that at times you need to be in full sort of like communication mode with the people around you. Yeah. I came across this quote that was very enlightening in the sense that like, you can go and like do a lot of task-based things by yourself, but when it comes to actually creating things together, like you need to kind of be in the same room as much as you want to deny that. And I think that that's the one thing that I realized, like, and I don't know how many people have picked up on this, but like I'm sometimes just like stupidly complex in my processes. And like Sharice is kind of like, Squinting her eyes and... Well, I think most people who know you would agree with that statement, but it doesn't mean that it's not necessarily a negative thing, right? It's just a description of who you are. But it doesn't work. That's what I think is like, I think that's what I was trying to get at is that it gets to a point where if you yourself are developing these processes and it's almost like process porn in a way where you're like so enamored with creating these super detailed processes that no one else really cares for because only you care about it and no one can actually follow along because it's so complicated, then it's a problem. I think it can be a problem in certain situations, but it's not just like an outright negative thing. I think there there's an aspect of you that adds balance to the team, right? Like maybe sometimes you go overboard, but you have to have some of that process-driven nature yeah. added to us as a team to make us succeed as a whole. Try anyways. I think Alex is really, really good at just like simplifying things. Yeah. Like sometimes I get annoyed that he's overly simplistic, but I think that- I mean, if he's overly simplistic and you're overly complex, that's like what I'm talking about is that the two of you like balance each other There needs out. to be more sort of like interaction there. I think that, you know, this is more of a sort of a revelation we've come across is like, dude, we don't, 
we we need to be talking more, I guess. As this quote Which is like such a strange thing for you to it, bring up to something that you're reminded of because I very strongly remember you saying this maybe two or three years ago that it never hurts to over-communicate. Like if you think you're over-communicating, you're probably actually communicating the right amount. Correct. But I think that there has to be intentionality behind the communication. So like for example, Alex and I were rarely talking about things beyond, oh, what task are you working on? Like even things right. like strategy, like, oh, what do you want to do? Like, what do we want to do with this thing? Like, are we even making progress? I think that's like the biggest thing. And people have been asking me a lot like recently, oh, how's like making going? I'd say like, yeah, it's going, it's going great. Like the, the brand is being built. A lot of people are, are kind of finding out about us and that feels great. But at the same time, it's like, there's two arms and you know, we, no, most people are pretty familiar with this. Like, and I remember asking you this, like, oh, do you think people are always curious, like how making even exists? You know what I mean? Like yeah. from, a, from a monetization standpoint. Yeah, like, no, they definitely are curious to jump in. When I was in SF, I met up with um, three people from the making community and they all asked me about this. Like how does <laughs> making run? How does making make money? And also, and you know, it's funny because, well, both all three of these people were very like positive towards making. So yeah. they kind of present, they asked me about working here, but in like, our, their question was already slanted towards a positive. Like, so do you love working at Macon? Like that kind of phrasing and instead of like, oh, what's was? it like? Um, oh, you know me, like more toned down than, yes, I love it, right? So um, I think my response was there are things that I love about the work, but the issue that we come up with is a lack of resources to yeah. execute the ideas. Yeah. And I think that's what you were about to say anyway. Yeah, no, I think resources and like just making sure that it's a sustainable creative business. It's interesting because this, this is something that we can talk about in passing is like the outline just raised, yeah, you know, a few million billions? dollars. Millions. Millions. Did you Sorry. say billions? I did say billions. No. Sorry. No, millions. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because um, this guy I follow on Twitter who, who used to be a Macon member, he made a mention uh Colin in and he just made a mention about how this like basically to him it's not something to be overly excited about to like talk about raising money it's more like oh I've like taken on debt right and it, yeah. in many ways he's yeah, kind of shitting on the outline because it's like non-essential which I you think mean the that, funding no 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 the the outline itself but that's obviously an opinion but I think uh what's interesting is that the founder behind Skift Oh man, I feel like this is going to go into some some weird like tangent, but um if it's crypto, I don't want to hear it. No, it's not crypto. God. Sorry, I'm logging back in my Twitter because Twitter messed up everyone's passwords. So the founder of Skift, which is a travel website, more on the business side, Rafat Ali, he said Good for outline, but the positioning of this round is disingenuous. It has raised another round from return-focused VCs 18 months after first round, is touting its valuation growth openly. It is part of the rat race, no doubt, and sadly won't have sanity anytime soon. And then he had followed up with that with saying, the biggest challenge generalist media companies like them is how can they move beyond novelty read and novelty ad buy? It isn't an outline issue. It is what an, any media brand will face and evidence for generalists is very hazy for now. Which making is kind of a generalist publication. I mean, we probably will, we probably endure a lot of the same things and it's a good thing we have a studio arm that's pretty successful in that regard. But at the end of the day, like between it all, like media is kind of the forward facing thing that you want to be continually growing, right? Whereas like agency is 
a necessary service that you provide, helps pay the bills, et cetera, uh, makes some good relationships along the way. But um, I think that in general, that's sort of like an interesting thing that comes to mind because, I mean, the ultimate goal is like, it's very easy for these publications that have been around for like, you know, 10 years to be like, oh yeah, like looking at modern media and be like, oh, you guys are, you guys are fucked basically, right? But I also think that they had the luxury of growing in a much different period of time. Whether it's luxury, okay, debatable, but it's more like, dude, you grew, you basically entered the internet landscape when there was nothing to do on the internet except go on a forum and go on a website. So like, obviously now it's like, people need to build their businesses much differently. Yeah. And whether or not the outline will find a way to make it work, maybe they will. I mean, and, and like- They have to anyways, because there's no way that they have the luxury of following an older, arguably more organic path. Again, and echoing um, the comments that you just read, is not a outline specific problem. Mm-hmm. It is all new media in the way in- the internet works nowadays. But actually, when I was saying- I'd like to catch up with you about stories as I meant like Our specifically stories. what's going on. So what was the most recent story we posted? Wild Ball. Oh yeah, that one's exciting. Finally, finally. Wild Ball, Wild Ball Part 2. For those unfamiliar, Wild Ball is this very interesting sort of development within basketball and in China specifically of how people are basically like playing these tournaments as guns for hire. Yeah, that's really interesting. So we were following along with Aaron Maxey, who's originally from the U.S., and he, the way I met him was through a friend, uh, Young Kim, who used to work at Wyden. And he put on this basketball tournament, like Nike Battlegrounds, like a long time ago. And that's how he met Aaron, because Aaron won that tournament. And ever since then, he's kind of been roaming the, the world, playing basketball, and especially last few years, he's been in China. But yeah, it's, I think it's a really interesting story to see how basketball can be received in different parts of the world and how just different cultures look at sport it's like a pastime that you throw money into and it's like the pride of having a sports team is quite quite big yeah and i think all our all our stories focused on underground things happening in china have been quite successful and gotten pretty good responses and i i every time one of those stories comes out for me it's educational as well yeah it's something that i didn't know existed or was surprised by. Tell me a little bit about the Photon Like You one. Oh yeah. I, I was really excited about, about that. that. I was really excited because I got to work with a new contributor for Megan, Kesha Hanam. She came to us with the story and just being able to work with someone who has like a fresh perspective, isn't part of the team and is like coming in and understanding Megan from her view. Was, with a ton of energy. Yeah. Honestly, she, I say this because I can't pick a, a better word right now, but she was very persistent in a good way of like trying to find a way to make it work. And she like, is. I think that's honestly the one thing that looking back at the other stuff maybe wasn't an immediate fit, but this was. Yeah, so that's yeah. why I'm glad that she was persistent. She could have just stopped after the first no. Right, right. And she did. Did you guys ever bring that up? She did all the hard legwork on this as well. Like uh, we didn't bring it up. Like she mentioned, you know, wanting to work with us for a while and the fact that I was able, like I had the availability to work on this story with her to produce it from our end was just, you know, good timing. She did all the legwork of talking to artist management, which is, you know, great. Yeah, great for have someone else to do it. And I was excited because it came out as um, a photo essay with another female photographer this first time we've worked with as well, Renee Neo. Plus it was text and audio. So I just felt like it was 
a lot, like you said, you know, a lot of moving parts and we managed to bring all, all of those things together. Yeah, it was dope. Photos are awesome with the graphical overlays. Yeah, shout out to Super Renee. Dope. Yeah, something different, I think, yeah. as well for us. Man, we've been talking for like 15 minutes. Have we really? Should we just get into it? Maybe this is, do you think anyone, you know, probably nobody does, but do you think there's even just like one listener out there that comes to our podcast for like the intro bit where we just talk shop? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I enjoy it. I mean, there's a lot of things that we could have talked about that we didn't talk about, like top potential topics. Right. No, you know, I don't know if you listen to other Talking Head podcasts, but the longer that they do a podcast together, this intro bit gets longer and longer as well. Like well, when you start, it's much shorter. We we're catching up on like a month's sort of. Yeah, we didn't even talk about anything personally going on, which yeah. sometimes we bring up. All right. Kick us off, Sharice. To be totally transparent, I picked this topic because it was far and away the most popular link we included in Wednesday's briefing. And I just thought that was interesting as well and something I wanted to talk about. And the subject is this genius article called YouTube and Chill, A Glimpse into the World of Lo-Fi Hip Hop. So the article is like a is not super revealing about anything because... The author is honest and he says he reached out to all of the major channels and everyone responded saying they wouldn't be willing to participate. Yeah. So it, it doesn't actually provide that much more information than what I could find on my own. But it is, I think the reason why this lo-fi hip hop survey was interesting to briefing readers is because most people have by this time heard of it or seen it on YouTube, but there's not, there's not a lot of material out there even to this day, it's got this like kind of cloak of mystery, like intentionally about it, which I think is part of the genre. So for people who don't know, lo-fi hip hop as a music genre um, is intentionally low fidelity music that's not meant to be like aggressive or ironic. It's kind of under mixed and leaves in imperfections in the audio with analog distortion. And it has existed like for a while, like it has a history dating from the 1970s if you're like a music expert but it really took off in 2017 and partially for technological reasons because YouTube was really promoting live streams and its um, suggested video algorithm was very favorable towards lo-fi hip hop channels. So part of the reason it even has as much of an audience as it does is because of YouTube's decisions in in terms of its product, which is also interesting to me. Um, just a little bit more about stats. 85% of all YouTube users go to YouTube to listen to music, which is kind of surprising to me. Yeah, it is like this kind of weird audio player, isn't it? Yeah, but it's, that means only 15% are there for the videos, like as in the talking videos, so et cetera. What, what does a, a lo-fi hip hop video look like? The weird thing about this. I was okay, like waiting for you to get into is, it. Yeah, this is bizarre too, but it's even greater that you ask about it is because it's usually like a five second looped anime gif. And the channel that's the most popular is of this anime girl who is writing in her journal or doing her homework. And there's like a cat whose tail is wagging in the background. And it's the same five second loop. <laughs> okay. Alex, Alex is chiming and says he watches lo-fi videos on the daily. Which I'm not surprised about is really chill. So why do you think people are listening to lo-fi versus just going on Spotify and and finding You know, it's funny because Spotify also jacked this whole momentum and now they have a lo-fi hip-hop channel as well. 
I think part Do you run of, ads on these? I don't know because whenever I have listened to it, I'm not as regular as Alex, but when I do, I just navigate away. Like, I don't stay on the page while I'm listening. So I wouldn't see ads if they came up. Yeah. Oh, maybe they just interrupt though with the audio. I've never encountered I, it. I, I don't think but I've part of the reason I think you would be on the YouTube channel is for the community aspect. Yeah. Because I, I, don't, I don't know if any of us here would belong to that kind of community because I think they're younger people. I think they really are like 12 to 20 year olds and they, you know, talk in the chat next to YouTube and there's like this private discord. I think there's 16,000 people in the discord. Like it's a significant size and they all, they don't necessarily, they do talk about music, like music they're making and music they're into, but they also talk about just their lives and their academic work and things like that. Yeah, it's definitely just an interesting way for people to connect. This is maybe a little complex, but do you think that people connect because the context in which they listen to lo-fi is what unifies them? I don't know if I'm being really naive about this, but also part of the reason I picked this is I just see this genre of music as being quite positive so far. You know, a healthy genre of music and a healthy community that maybe they're not, you know, the most extroverted people who are outspokenly supporting each other. But I think in a way they are being friends, like yeah. online friends in a, in a real way. And it, I don't know if it's directly related to the kind of music. Like if you listen to this kind of mellow music, then you naturally have a chill personality that is true maybe i mean i at this point in time since no one really wants to speak on the record you have to maybe just you might just need to poke and prod through the potential learnings or insights right and i was thinking though that that the whole people not wanting to speak on the record is also a unique part of this genre like they're not interested in fame yeah they're not glory. interested in fame in their it in their real names or their real profiles being public. They're not interested in press. I think Genius is quite a large platform. Yeah, of course. And I would have thought, you know, maybe a teenager would have been like, oh yeah, cool, Genius. Like, Yeah, why not? I want some coverage, but yeah. it is a bit unique that they're, that that's not what it's they're in this for. It's actually very counterintuitive to the way culture is currently in terms of everyone wanting, oh, look at me, look at me type sort of a feel to it all. I like it. I think I like this direction. You know, they use aliases. They don't put a lot of personal information in their profiles. They're like, as far as I can tell, like in it for a good time. Like, yeah, I like you doing could, you this. You could definitely argue that the community aspect, what allows something to grow much faster is when you have organization to a certain degree, but you are mostly faceless mm. because then it doesn't feel as though like someone is potentially using it to their advantage in a certain way. Right. Whether or not that works or not, I don't know, but I'm just saying like, right. it feels like it's a little bit easier to activate because like when when it's movement driven and it's more intangible, you don't feel like you're working for one person. You feel like you're working for the greater collective of everyone around you. Yeah. And it's not this top down thing. Like we're all in this to support this one artist or this one channel promoter. It's just that we all have similar interests. And yeah. one of the interests is lo-fi hip hop yeah. and the other, I mean, according to Genius, other interests that people share in this community are anime and weed. Yeah. And so because they know we share these interests, maybe it's easier for them to have a genuine community as opposed to like 
we're all here for this one guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually did, before we go any further, because we're like halfway through this, we forgot to shout out who kind of put us onto this. Yeah, so Erwin in the Macon Slack community shared this a um, couple of days ago, and he was saying, oh, I've never seen a genius blog post, but I think the layout of this piece on Lo-Fi speaks to me. And then Duran chimed in, some people liked it. Uh, and it's funny because Erwin actually said that he only listened to Lo-Fi on Spotify. Interesting. And the article put him onto the YouTube channel. Yeah. Though in like the history of things, yeah. the YouTube channel came from. So the fact there's very little sort of like direct desire to monetize this, do you think that this is something that, like how do you define sustainability under those terms? You know, one of the other really weird things about this genre to me is that there are artists whose music are is being used in these live streams, in these super long mixes, but those artists' names aren't used. It's not like a traditional radio channel. They don't say, and now this track by XYZ. So the artist being okay with that lack of credit is also different, in my opinion. Yeah. I just I, I always find it interesting because I there's something very powerful when when people aren't doing it for the sake of a financial reward and they also are able to sustain because of an actual true passion and love for something. Cause it's unwavering. I like, I've been in situations where it was your favorite thing to do until money became part of the equation, you know? Part of it being sustainable is probably because the people running this are still actual students in high school and college, and they don't need to have this be a full-time money-making gig to support themselves. True. Hypothesis, though, because we true. don't know, none of these people reveal their ages. It is kind of, it is kind of fun to just hypothesize and just think. And just let yourself. It, well, it's also nice just because I know in this case, I can't look up something that will give me the answers, like as of now. So you're just being more critical and using a little bit of intuition. Have you ever listened to lo-fi hip hop? Yeah, but I just, I have never really have a desire for background music. Do you listen to background anything? No, not really. It has to be a very deliberate and kind of defined intention when something's going through my ears. Yeah, I think that's it for me. I hope YouTube doesn't ruin it for anyone in, in some way, which I'm sure they can by killing parts of their product that this depends on. Like what? What would be an example of that? Mm, you know, not boosting live or taking away the chat or modifying the chat in some way. Yeah, yeah. Just, I just, I just know that as good as a thing is, when it's not, we talk about this so much, you know, when it's not on your own platform, you're at a risk. Yeah. So my topic today, what is it like to be an artist muse and to be a muse are you giving up certain rights, right? And this is really interesting because I've always heard the word muse thrown around quite a bit, but I never really sort of dug deep into what it means exactly. For those unfamiliar, the word muse is derived from the inspirational goddess of literature, science, and the arts. In simpler terms, it's a person who inspires a creator. So the Huffington Post published a relatively long piece on being an artist muse, and they started it through the lens of famed Japanese photographer Araki and his muse, Kaori. The two have a pretty long-standing working relationship. 
uh, Kiori factors into a lot of Iraqi's kind of iconic, uh, I guess, photographs where she's bound by rope. So the story documents the exploitative relationship between the two. The best way to probably just like sum it up would be Iraqi would essentially use Kiori as he pleased to work in a sort of commercial context. And it was probably a big determinant of his ability to be financially successful and to just make a name for himself. And also within this, the two were also romantically involved at some point in time. And Iraqi would just openly say, oh, she's my girlfriend. Or at some point in time, he would reference her more from a, like a mistress standpoint. I, I think that's less about the story itself. And the relationship itself never really bordered on sort of any physical or sexual abuse, but it kind of went down this path where it's really about exploitation where... I think it's a... The, yeah, I think the really concerning part is about work exploitation. Yeah, work exploitation. That so seems to be the point here. An example of that would be Kaori would show up um, under the assumption she was just going to shoot something private with Iraqi only to be kind of shown in front of a group of people in a public setting. Yeah, like the shoot was brand. part of a art installation yeah. almost at at a party exactly. kind of thing. Getting paid for this work was often sort of a, a disconnected part of it all. Yeah. It's not like she was necessarily yeah. making money off of this. I mean, she makes comment in this article as well, and it's a bit sad. It's a story that I think we hear a lot. You know, she says she is young. She didn't know. She didn't sign a contract. She didn't ask for a contract. Those kinds yeah. of things. But. And there's also part of it that also is Araki trying to sort of remove himself of any blame. And he says that, in 2016, Kaori requested better working conditions, but Iraqi and his company elected against it and they terminated their working relationship. In the eyes of Iraqi, his photographic style, which he coined Shishashin, is supposed to be extremely personal. So by virtue of any pushback from Kaori, it kind of changes the meaning of it. Okay, I call BS on this because he's like, the kind of photography is meant to be a unique form of expression that has no rules or agreement. So it's all up to me, which is like such an excuse. Like I don't accept it. Like, I mean, because it's, because it's the term, he's literally saying like the terms of this being art require me to not pay you properly. Or for me to just do it under my own pretense. Because if paying him is part of it, then it, it could be part of it. But I think it's just like, what I find fascinating is that he kind of just set the rules on his own. Whether they're right or wrong is, I mean, it's always debatable, but I think it's less about that. It's more about someone was okay with it for a certain period of time. I don't think, okay. I just don't think that she was ever clear that that was the way he was picturing things. Like he only explained that to her in 2017, you know, it what was 16 years after she started working with this guy. I definitely think it's kind of sketchy. It's definitely weird to see it sort of laid out as such. So two things kind of popped up in my mind. One was like the actual role of a muse in like helping to find inspiration. Because I've never really felt like I needed to like focus on one particular individual to kind of create that inspiration. Yeah. I mean, it is a very art term as in like used in fine art, I yeah, think. it's kind of, I mean, for me, I've always found a little bit, I've always felt a little uncomfortable with what it represents because it feels as though there's a very sort of like underlying relationship that I've never really felt comfortable because it's just so like psychologically ingrained and it's almost as though like you need someone to help push you to the depths of your own psychology for you to like 
extract this. It is also kind of strange just in terms of, because she also says she felt like, oh, she wasn't just exploited in terms of salary, like in terms of money, but also exploited creatively. So maybe there there's an aspect of this where something was Kaori's idea and yeah. not Araki's, but she doesn't get anything from having had that idea. She yeah. just gets this being able to say, oh, like I was Araki's muse. And I, I think it's hazy when a fine artist says, oh, this person was my muse. What what does that mean in terms of like how you're inspired by this person? Does that mean you're just like mining them for ideas? Does it like, mean where you does can disrespect the, them? Does yeah. It I, that's the one thing that's that makes me kind of question everything. And also within that whole sort of context, is, is the idea of the muse like something that's no longer relevant? It can almost no longer exist based on the current cultural conditions. Well, I think one thing that's just also interesting about the term is that it suggests a long relationship with someone in that role because you could be inspired by a person for a singular project, right? You could even argue like every story we do is about a person. I, I know that this is kind of far-fetched, but a lot of our stories are about individual people and they do inspire like that writing, right? And that yeah. audio work in a different way. Like you never call them a muse, but it is inspired by a person. Yeah. And yet a muse suggests like a long-term relationship. And I mean, I don't see that being a part of my creative process. But is it permissible? I think that what I'm trying to understand here is like, if there's certain rules of engagement that are set out and someone is okay playing by those rules, what does that mean? Like 16 years is a pretty long time to be like, to finally come to terms with like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. But, and if she mentions there's no sort of physical or sexual abuse, like not to say that the other stuff is, you dismiss the other stuff, but I, I wonder like all these confounding factors also from a cultural perspective of being within the Japanese culture and like that relationship in itself. I think that's a challenging thing for me. It's okay, like, I think separate from the conversation about whether the role of a muse is acceptable, I see if you remove the word muse, what it is is also just a working relationship where someone has more power and experience than someone else, which is something that you have to be careful of in as you and me or anyone else in this office. Like right now we're on the younger end, I guess. So- you'd have to be careful of someone older taking advantage of you in some way be, through their experience yeah. that I don't know of. But it could also be the other way where we might accidentally be taking advantage of someone younger because they don't know better. But I, I see this story as more about that. Like that's the thing that is I, the I think, focus for me. You know, this is like really interesting because the thing I, I'm trying to pull away from this is like, what is the valuation of human life versus like creative output? Because that sort of feels as though that's the underlying argument here. It's like, well, Iraqi feels that like unadulterated creative expression is more valuable than the way I treat you. Right? That's one way of looking at it. And then, and it's weird because we we deliberately didn't talk about this because we hadn't, we felt we didn't do enough research. But like, in many ways, it's kind of like the whole Kanye West thing. Do you know what I mean? There's a similarity where it's like, I feel like I should have full unadulterated creative expression and thought despite the fact that the things I say might might push the narrative or might create a certain environment 
Do you, do you see a parallel there? I can see the parallel, but I just can't imagine myself saying that any kind of art is more valuable than human life. Yes. In a way. No, that's fair. I agree. It's definitely something that's challenging because not to say that great art needs to be exploitative, right? It just so happens that certain artists have chosen to explore this path. Well, I mean, if you talk about art in general, part of the problem is that in art history, many of the people in power are men and older men like Iraqi. And so it's just, it's a situation set up for exploitation, honestly. Like there aren't really, it just be, beyond Iraqi as well, there just aren't parameters. Like I'm sure other people saw what Iraqi was doing and didn't say anything to him either. Like it's just something crooked in the system yeah. that is more protective of certain people than others. I think that's, that's something that's fascinating because I always wonder, you see a lot of these sort of like older artists, whether it's a Bill Cosby, whether it's Araki, they are from a different point in time, right? Where they could arguably get away with a lot more. So I w also wonder like, are those moments in time over? God, I hope so. Because in, in an I mean, age you can get away with, I think you can get away with other stuff without damaging other people. Like we talked about this before, I think, when we were talking about vice. Like, isn't part of the risk-taking nature part of the success of the publication, mm -hmm. right? And I feel like we're kind of getting into that territory right now, which is, oh, maybe these artists are successful because they were willing to do things that were gray, that were not regulated. And I think regulation to some degree is necessary in terms of, you know, protection of people like Kaori, but I'm sure there are other ways of breaking the rules and pushing boundaries that are not exploitative. I guess I wanted to round that point off by just saying that like, it's so easy to document everything now. And it's also something we talk about very openly in terms of issues and like the treatment of people in the workplace that these arguably are moments in time that are defined by an, by an era versus, I don't know. Like I saw myself mid-sentence there because I don't think that people necessarily change their behavior so much as they don't have the means to get away with it anymore. Means to get away is probably the wrong way of putting it too. It's more like they don't have sort of this, this level of power that allows them free reign like, like there once was. You know, I do see parallels with, well, by this point, because we've abstracted it away from these specific people, I do see parallels with Kanye and then also weirdly with Facebook because I think the greater theme is how do we in the age of surveillance and the internet regulate one another while allowing room for innovation? Yeah. How do you leave artists room to innovate, but not so far as to hurt, hurt anyone? Yeah. I, I, there is no real answer. It's just like an ongoing dialogue to recognize that both are necessary, but it's always going to be sort of like, a pendulum shifts too far to one side and then you correct it and then it shifts too far to another side and then you correct it. And I that's sort so. of how you move forward. Yeah. We're not going to get it right on the needle. I think that's a good place to finish things off. 
If you are interested in learning more about Macon and reading and listening to our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can check us out at Macon.com. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at Macon or email us at stories at Macon.com. We'd love to hear from you and hear what you disagree with us on. If you really like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Sharice is laughing about something. I don't I'm know. laughing because we're so rusty at this. Yeah, we're very rusty. Yeah, uh, share with a friend. Let them know where they can subscribe to us, whether it's on iTunes or the favorite podcast platform. And give us a review. Let us know what you like and don't like. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.